live. Welcome to the first episode of Medtocracy. Our goal is to help students and recent grads navigate opportunities in medtech and empower the future generation of medtech innovators. And today, our first ever guest has done exactly that and continues to do that. One undergrad, a master's from John Hopkins University in bioengineering, innovation and design, to now an R&D engineer at Stryker, developing degenerative spinal solutions to save many patients around the world. I am excited to have Elon Heliasus as our first guest. We talk about a wide range of topics, and I hope you enjoy this one. I am so grateful that you can make it here today and give us a piece of your time, Elon. This means so much to us and our, our community here at Metocracy. And why don't we jump into your academic journey in college, your master's at John Hopkins University, and ultimately getting into Stryker. Yeah, um, well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I first actually, so as a biomedical engineer, um, I decided to go into this field. Um, it's probably started when I was in middle school when I had my first trip um, internationally. I went to Ethiopia, which is where my family is from. And I was able to see um, a different side of the healthcare system where um, there was so much need. And um, I always wanted to go into the medical field. And I thought, you know, being a biomedical engineer seemed like a great option. So um, going into college, I was a biomedical engineer um, because I really enjoyed math and physics, but I thought I would go to medical school. So I had my pre-med track and was on the pre-med um, pathway until sophomore year when I realized, you know, I really enjoyed my engineering classes and I thought that would be a cool future to go into. Um, and just the fact that being a biomedical engineer, I could develop devices for doctors and for um, surgeons who are going to be treating the patients. Um, so I thought that would be cool, you know, just trying to um, create things that could treat um, diseases or prevent diseases. Um, and ever since then, I continued on my biomedical engineering track. And um, after undergrad, I, um, I decided to take a gap year because I was always interested in um, doing something in international development and global health, um, connecting those with biomedical engineering. So I did an internship at U.S. Agency for International Development in Washington, D.C., where I was in the Global Health Bureau and um, working on different dashboards and seeing um, the health, health data from different countries around the world. Um, and following that year, I ended up doing a master's program um, at Johns Hopkins University in biomedical engineering. Oh, wow. And that was a really cool program because it was focused on innovation and design. Um, and it was taking, uh, going into the observations and into surgery rooms, operating rooms, and seeing surgeries being done, talking to surgeons and radiologists and all the people that you could think of in, in operating rooms and finding challenges and needs from there. And then going back with my engineering team and um, coming up with a solution to tackle some of the challenges. Um, and so that was a really cool program because it wasn't, it wasn't just focused on U.S. projects, but also mm -hmm. um, global aspects. So we had a project that was actually for me, for my team, it was in Uganda. Um, so we were able to travel to Uganda and several other countries 
um, for our global health project. Um, so it was a really cool um, program where I was able to learn different um, pieces of the medical device innovation pathway and um, ended up at Stryker um, through through that after the, immediately after I graduated from my master's program. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool journey through college and um, how it all ties together to what I'm doing now. Thank you for sharing your journey. I would like to revisit particularly your master's. How has your master's been a plus in what you're doing now? And would you suggest that undergrads get one, especially if they want to land roles in research and development like the one you have? Yeah. Um, so I know it was probably, it's probably a hard decision coming after, coming out of undergrad to decide whether to get a graduate degree if you're interested in industry. Um, for me specifically, I wanted to get a master's degree because my undergrad was not as focused on what I wanted to do in the future. So um, I knew I was interested in mechanical side of, um, of biomedical engineering and specifically in designing medical devices. My undergrad didn't really offer that side of biomedical engineering. Um, so I was doing a lot of wet lab research and um, didn't have an opportunity to get into mechanical focus. Um, and I knew that having, um, um, with my interest in international development, I also wanted to connect engineering and my global in health interest. Um, and I found the, pro the program at Hopkins um, during my undergrad years. And so while I was a senior in undergrad, I realized, you know, that program seemed like it was a perfect fit for me. And um, was interesting for me. But um, that's the reason why I decided to go for the master's because of the international aspect and mechanical device design. Um, I knew that there would be lots of opportunities in industry for me. Um, but I know for a fact that, you know, you don't really need to have a master's degree in order to get into the position that I'm in. Um, some of my coworkers and colleagues are um, came straight from undergrad without a master's um, degree. Oh, wow. And some of them are even doing a master's degree while they're working right now as part-time. It does take, you know, extra years, um, maybe three or four years to do a master's program, whereas mine took three semesters, so a year and a half. Um, so there are different opportunities, but um, yeah, it's definitely not, not required, I would say, for going into a position like mine. And I know taking a master's can be a really tough decision and that's something I'm battling with myself right now as well. But I think that if you know where you want to go in your career or what interests you and you want to further explore a certain area, a master's is something that is definitely worth it. And thank you for sharing that. I just want to dive in now to the period of time where you went from your master's and how did you transition from graduation into the job market? What was it like getting into Stryker as a research and development engineer as a recent grad? Yeah, for sure. Um, so after, during my master's program, um, I knew I had a couple months to apply for a job. So I wanted to start early before graduating. And there were some positions that were open in different areas um, around Baltimore, which is where I did my master's. Um, and I actually was able to apply to, I think, over maybe around 20 jobs um, just because I wanted to, um, you know, s spread my application everywhere to see if um, anything would open up quickly and so I can have options. Um, so I did get a, a really good job offer um, up in Baltimore 
um, mm. at BD. It's a company, it's a medical device company, which is also an, an amazing opportunity, amazing company. Um, it was just in the middle of an, an area where I wasn't, I didn't have any relatives, you know, it was kind of far away from um, where I wanted to be. And the position was not specifically um, what I was interested in. It was a systems engineering position um, rather mm. than working on like medical devices. Um, so it was a hard decision for me, but I was still waiting for other applications to go through and to get called for interviews. So I knew that something would probably open up. So um, I did have to de decline that position, even though it was an amazing offer. But wow. um, that's something that I think a lot of people might, um, might find difficult if you do have opportunities that seem like they're good because you, they're the first thing that come up. Um, just wait. I would suggest, you know, go for what you're passionate with because um, for me, I was able to wait another month, which is um, still before I graduated. And in May of, um, in May of 2018, mm -hmm. um, I found the opportunity at Stryker, which is, it was previously called K2M. Um, so the company yeah. I, I went to was acquired by Stryker um, a few months after I started. So I started at K2M, um, which is an orthopedic um, spine company. Um, and I applied for that and sent my resume in, didn't hear back after uh, about a week or two. And um, it was very fortunate because we had a design day for my graduate program at Hopkins. And okay. it was like the last week of our graduation. And the manager that I was um, applying the, the, for the position I was applying for at K2M was actually in the audience at the design day. Wow. And one of my professors was saying to me, you know, um, the position you applied to at K2M, um, you know, the manager, uh, the, the, there's a manager here in the audience, you should go talk to him and maybe um, connect with him. And so that's exactly what I did. I took his advice and ran to the back of the room with my yeah. resume in my hand, um, which is another thing, another good advice is to always be prepared with your resume, business cards, um, just with you in your backpack, wherever you go, just in case you run into someone. Um, and I have so, a PDF on hand. So it's yes, cool. yes. <laughs> so I'm yes. glad I was able to, to pull that out of my backpack and um, provide it to him there. And um, I'm not sure if that is, if that's what made my application move forward. But after that conversation, um, that week, I was able to hear back from that company from K2M. I got an interview there, phone interview, and then in-person interview. Um, and then I received the job about a week after I graduated. Um, and so, yeah, ever since then, I've been with K2M, which is now called Stryker. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a great journey so far. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So you got the R&D job now. You're working at Stryker. And I think this part is where a lot of our listeners are tuning in for. What is an average day like for a research and development engineer? And what does research and development in med tech mean to you? Yeah, um, so each day is, is pretty different. Um, as a biomedical engineer, um, a lot of you guys may know that it's um, pretty much a broad field. And so you learn, like in school, you learn about the regulatory FDA and patent stuff and, you know, all the different classifications and regulations and quality um, procedures um, to create a medical device, and that's exactly what we what we do 
um, as an R&D engineer. So for me, um, I specifically um, focus on spinal implants and spinal instruments. Um, so I am able to use SolidWorks, um, the computer-aided design CAD, a CAD software program where we design uh, implants. And sometimes it's just, you know, innovative from scratch. We come up and have brainstorming sessions. Um, other times we build off of products that already exist um, in our system. And so previous products that our teammates have designed um, from um, our engineering department, and we make, you know, different, different features on there so that we can connect with the surgeons and the surgeons give us different ideas um, and their, their challenges. And we go back to the drawing board sometimes if they have different challenges and we try to add those, incorporate those changes into our, um, our implants that we design. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, communication with the field, with the surgeons and with the sales reps in, um, in the hospitals. And that's probably my, my favorite part, you know, get, getting into the drawing board and, and talking with the, um, the surgeons and the field about what their, um, what their needs are. Another aspect that we do um, in my role specifically, I work with the design history files. Um, so we record every, you know, test report and protocol and um, quality measures that we take to ensure that the devices are meeting um, the safety requirements and that they're um, meeting any standards and regulations mm -hmm. that we have. Um, so I, um, I sometimes do the testing, you know, we have mechanical testing that we have to do of the implants and the instruments to make sure that they um, withstand a certain amount of force. Um, we yeah. use machines like the Instron machine. Um, we sometimes even um, use different um, 3D printers that we have in-house to build prototypes in plastic before sending them to a manufacturer, a machine shop where they print our implants and 3D printers from, with, in metal. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, interactions with the, um, with the external stakeholders in uh, manufacturers, manufacturing departments um, across the world too and, and across different departments. Um, so I think your second question was, what does R&D mean to me? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and I, I would say it's, um, it's an opportunity to um, innovate and to um, create um, solutions for problems that are, you know, that, that are brought to you by the field, by people who are, by our customers. So when I say the field, I mean like surgeons and people who are using the devices that we're creating. So um, it's an opportunity to, to create and to innovate. I find it wonderful that you bring up Instron testing and SolidWorks as these are things I've used in my degree so far. So I'll ask you this, if you had to go back and redo your entire undergrad masters, knowing what you know now, what skill sets would you ideally want to focus on collecting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, during my undergrad, I, I realized I didn't really have much of um, an experience with using um, SolidWorks. We used MATLAB a lot. We used SolidWorks a bit um, and just different computer software programs, but not, not specifically SolidWorks or Creo, which is another CAD program. Um, there are 
um, opportunities to do that in colleges. Um, my, my biomedical engineering program was pretty new, so there wasn't too many um, opportunity to, to do that. And that was kind of a reason why in my master's program, I decided to take a class specifically called CAD, Computer Aided Design. And the whole entire class was just learning the, the program, the um, SolidWorks. It's similar to SolidWorks, but it's called Creo. Um, and so that's definitely something that I wish I, I did earlier in undergrad, because if I did that, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have needed to even do my master's program. I think having an undergrad program um, that's specifically what you want to do, like you can specify your electives um, as yeah. an undergrad. So just making sure that you have the opportunity to to do to take those classes that um, you can learn those software programs in. For any Guelph engineers listening, they would be happy to hear how useful SolidWorks is in the field because we are drilled with it. But let's get into this. For students who cannot pick up these technical skills because their university doesn't offer a course in such, would you recommend online resources, self-teaching, and personal projects to fill these gaps? Um, I, I definitely encourage that. I think personal learning for your like on your own is um, definitely encouraged. I think it's even um, you know uh, advisable to by some like hiring managers because they want to see that you're interested, that you're working on things that you're interested in, and that you're um, gaining experience in things that are even outside of your normal everyday classes and outside of your required curriculum. Um, so definitely encouraged um, to do that. And I, th I think it's a great learning opportunity. You know, even even for me, I, I don't know if, I haven't really talked about much that after my undergrad, I did, I, I did study for an EIT, which is engineering and training, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a it's not a degree, it's a, it's a certificate um, that you can yeah, get yeah. Yeah, for, for engineers. Um, it's not required in biomedical engineering at all, but you know, I was just super interested in just getting more of a technical background. So that's something yeah. that I pursued afterwards. And I think it's, it's definitely a plus to, to get any kind of um, uh, education or um, classes outside of school. So definitely. Yeah, self-learning is, I'm definitely no stranger to self-learning. And anyone who knows me knows that I say, Coursera is like our best friend. If you don't have an opportunity to do a course at your school, you can do it on Coursera for free. So yeah, definitely thank you for that. I think we did a really good job in covering all the technical skills. So why don't we get into the soft skills? What type of people or social skills should someone have on an engineering team or a research and development team from your perspective? Yeah, I think um, soft skills are, are super important aside from, you know, all the technical that, things that people talk about. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because communication um, is key and people want to see um, how students, you know, communicate, especially going from a college environment to the real world. And um, it's, it's super important, you know, to have those those soft skills that you can build, you know, through communication, um, through emails and phone calls, um, even while, while you have, you know, interviews, even with different opportunities that come your way. Um, the hiring managers want to see that you're um, communicating effectively and that you're not, 
you know, backing away from tough questions. Um, mm. Something that I, I've learned is that if, if there are any tough questions that come or that, that arise in interviews or any other conversations, it's, it's not like it's, it's, it's not okay, you know, just to, um, to lie about something or, you know, just to, like guess. Um, but it's, it's always, people always encourage, you know, just saying, just deferring it to um, another person or saying, you know, I don't just to admit that, that um, a solution or an answer is not something that you're aware of, if that makes sense. Like you don't have to mm-hmm. know everything when you're, um, when you're being asked questions. So having soft skills um, is super important, I think, for, for job opportunities. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm super interested in, um, in seeing more college students and more people who, are, who have the potential um, to, to like, you know, input their, their passion in the field. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see the, the future and to see how students can, you know, be empowered to use their um, classwork in the real world because there's so much potential there, I think, that students have. Elon, I'll, I'll ask you this. We, we talk a lot about acquiring these skills that'll help you get jobs and help you in your career over the, the long term. For someone listening who doesn't have the opportunity to go out and get internships, they're not in a co-op program, what do you suggest? Like, how should they go about that? Yeah, I actually didn't have any, um, you know, technical internships. I just had, you know, like research internships. Wow. Um, and I, I, that's something I wish I, I was able to do either a co-op and take like a semester or a summer to do um, an internship. But um for me, I think the biggest thing that I was able to leverage was my research opportunities that I did on campus and um, even, you know, the leadership activities. So for, for me, my, my college didn't really have many opportunities for students in um, biomedical engineering to um, join different organizations. We had BMES, which is a biomedical engineering society, um, but there was another group that I, I, I thought, you know, it would be cool if my college had this and it was engineering world health. So mm. my friend and I um, started that organization during our junior year and wow. um, it's still, it's still growing to this day. And I think that's something that a lot of people can still um, take advantage of, you know, find a, a group, an organization or a chapter that doesn't exist at your college and, um, check if you can if you can start that or like join with a couple other of your friends who are in your major even outside other different majors who can join um and then it could be something big you know people want to see that you're involved um it doesn't have to be an internship specifically in biomedical engineering but you know if you're showing that your leadership um skills can be grown elsewhere um they want to see your how you take initiative and i think that's something that could definitely be added I mean, starting a whole new venture at your school, whole new club, that is not an easy feat. So can you give us a blueprint on how you actually got through that experience and what was it like setting it up? What are the do's and don'ts and how can someone then do that? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, during, I think it was even earlier than my junior year, I just had a desire. I was like, you know, my college doesn't really have anything for, um, for engineers in general, um, connecting with, you know, the global field and international development. So that's when I, um, I was just like looking up different ways as an engineer to connect with the international 
field in the international sector, and I, I came across the Engineering World Health Organization and EWH.org. I just went to their website and noticed that they had opportunities for um, their organization to um, form ch chapters in different schools all around the world in different countries. Um, and so I was, I thought, you know, there's no, there's nothing here in Arkansas, which is where I did my undergrad. Um, so I decided to get with my friend and she was a senior at the time when I was a junior. Um, so, you know, we just followed any, all, all, we, we went to our registered student organization um, department and checked to see any requirements there of how to start a chapter. Um, and we got through all of the requirements and everything and we're like okay so now we ha it's just us two so um <laughs> we decided you know to make an announcement with our professors and our classes so we got into our um we, we got with our advisors and our mentors and um they were able to advertise for the the group um in their classes as well and so we we were able to get the interest of freshmen you know freshmen are always interested in getting involved in things during their first year. Um, so that was very simple to get them, you know, during their, the first couple months of the school year when they're looking for um, activities to get involved in. And um, so we got a, a, a big group there and um, some upperclassmen too, and we formed committees and positions. Um, so the, the leadership board, um, we had about five of us on the leadership board. It's president, vice president, secretary, um, treasurer and each of us were able to um, lead a committee so we had um, like a design committee where people could just you know get together and brainstorm different um, challenges that engineering world health organization put together and um, they had the design competition that they put together a challenge we were able to compete with different schools um, there's also committee for outreach in our local community. So we got connected with the Boys and Girls Club in our community for after school programs. And we taught different um, engineering lessons to them. And it was just a great way to mm -hmm. get it, the community involved. And yeah. um, so ever since then, you know, the undergrads, the freshmen and sophomore, they were super interested in it. And they ran for, you know, president for the next year and everyone's just trying to get this um, moving and get it growing. And it was, um, I think it's something great that a lot of students are, could be missing out on if they don't have these opportunities. So um, definitely encourage students to, to look into that too. That is solid advice. And I can't thank you enough for saying that. I just want to zoom in on one thing you said. You briefly mentioned mentors. So what is your take on getting mentors? How do you get mentors and should, People start looking for mentors now during their undergraduate degrees. And how do you go about that? Yeah, um, it's super important to have people who are in um, a position where you where you can ask questions, you know, freely and openly um, without any kind of um, any like you no know, discomfort. Um, so you can just be open and ask questions and they can give you advice. I think that's super important. And I was fortunate enough for my, my undergrad and um, even through my current position right now um, to have people who could give me advice, you know, people who went through college already and um, could give me, you know, feedback on what I'm doing and even, you know, review my resume and review my cover letters and give me 
advice on interviews. And I think that's super important because they've been in positions that you already have, um, that, that you're interested in. And so they could give feedback that's what they've passed through and what they've experienced. So um, definitely encourage people to, to search out those those mentors and it could even be like you know on LinkedIn a lot of people are using LinkedIn as a networking tool and mm -hmm. reaching out to people directly on LinkedIn is super important that's what I did you know when I was an undergrad and even my master's program finding people who were in positions that I wanted to be in and um, even you know in your undergrad in your in your classes and in your um, department there could be professors that are willing to provide uh, support for your yeah. interviews or, or um, endeavors moving forward so Yep, definitely keep an eye open for, for mentors. Look, I couldn't agree anymore. LinkedIn is a super powerful tool for reaching out to people and getting mentors. And at the end of the day, it's hard times around the world. People want to help you. So don't ever feel ashamed of reaching out. The worst someone can do is say no. And I even reached out to Elon on LinkedIn. And that's how we're here doing a podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm really glad you reached out because that's something that I think a lot of students are um, need to do more, you know, because even if you don't really know a person, it's still, there's still a connection that could be made and, and we're all, you know, trying to make, bring impact to the society. So um, yeah, I'm glad you, you definitely reached out to me and uh, we got this connection going. So <laughs> I couldn't agree anymore. I wanted to scroll back to our earlier conversation when we were talking about the day in the life of an R&D engineer and what you do essentially. When did you ever have that aha moment that med tech is the field I want to be in for the rest of my career? Hmm, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I would say um, just the fact that for, for me, what gives me most joy and what motivates me is the fact that I can help patients um, who are facing pain that could be alleviated. So, you know, as an engineer, we're always coming up with solutions and to, to challenges um, that could um, impact people in, in, in hospitals and in um, the medical field. And for me, you know, coming from a, an international background um, and having family members, you know, still in Ethiopia and um, being able to have several international trips abroad, I, I realized how much of a potential of, of an impact I can make um, through my position. And it's just been um, motivating to um, work on products that, you know, I'm like, wow, I can actually impact the field. And from, I think the aha moment for me is when I traveled um, last year to, for the first time to a case in um, a surgical case where there was a patient who, a surgeon who was using the device that was designed on my team and using it in the hospital, using it in the operating room on a real patient and wow. treating a patient with the device that we created. Um, I think that kind of blew my mind and I was like, wow, this is actually real. <laughs> like I'm, I'm making an impact in, in this field. So um, yes, yeah, it's, it's super exciting, you know, just seeing all the advances now in, in, in the medical field. So, I love that you shared that. Thanks for sharing. And I know the listeners and me as well, we're all aspiring to get into this field and create patient-focused medical devices to really save someone's life. And I love just hearing this from you. This has been great. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I'll, 
I'll end with a question more on the philosophical end of things. If we had to evacuate planet Earth tomorrow and go to Mars to set up shop starting from scratch, what part of society or life would you want to be responsible for rebuilding? For instance, like schools or the education system or creating something entirely new? Hmm. That is a, a very interesting question. I haven't heard something like that before. So <laughs> uh, let me think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's that, that would be, you know, like starting from scratch, I guess, like starting a new system. Um, I probably, I would say creating a, a, an atmosphere for, for people who, um, who could, like, you know, maybe like an innovation hub kind of thing where people could come to a location, uh, a building with a bunch of different resources and oh. give them give them the opportunity to create and to brainstorm, to design, to innovate um, whatever they think would be like the greatest solution for, um, for, you know, different challenges. So it could be mm. like a, a healthcare, um, maybe like creating a, a, um, a health vehicle, you know, getting people to a hospital quickly or um, I'm not sure, like, you know, different, different things so that people can, use their potential so I, I i think it's kind of general but creating you know like an innovation hub where people can be empowered to use their their um like to to use their potential and use their ideas and i'm, I'm really big about like empowering people so Definitely. i think that's that's where it stems I'm, from <laughs> sorry if that question came from left field um but you handle it great. And that was really interesting. And a little philosophy couldn't hurt. To wrap things up, what are three parting words you want to leave with the Medtocracy audience? Yeah, um, I, I would say for the first thing that comes to my mind is um, just to take any opportunity that comes your way that, um, like, you know, if you're in a class or on a project and the professor asks you to do, ask someone on a team to do something like, just try to be that one who's open to be taking risks and taking opportunities. Um, another thing is um, for me specifically, what got me this far, I would say is keeping my mind off of, um, off of, um, you know, the secular world, I think it's, it's really simple to get tied into, you know, what's going on and to get stressed out and worried about classes and everything. But um, for me, keep being um, focused on what's ahead of me, you know, step by step and, um, you know, having more of like an eternal mindset of thinking, you know, how, like if uh, thinking of the future, you know, how will I be able to use my skills to empower others and um, to bring a better impact to society in the future. And um, I think the last thing would just be to, um, I, I would say just to be creative, you know, open, like think outside the box. I think that's what I, I'm really thankful for, you know, opportunities where I could um, get with a, a mentor and just um, brainstorm and, and give ideas and innovate um, on this, on the fly. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a big world out there. So just keep focused and, um, don't, don't be afraid of taking risks is the biggest thing. Yeah. So that, that is beautiful. I couldn't have said it any better. Like your last three parting words, 
what I gathered from that was to take opportunities, stay focused and cancel out that noise in the background yes. and be creative. Yep. Because creative, creativity ultimately changes situations and allows us to progress as a society and progress as a species, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Elon, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And Thank you. Maybe, maybe, maybe when we uh, continue to grow, uh, we could have you on for a part two. But yeah. That would yeah. Be awesome. This was awesome. I'm really, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be here. And I am excited to see the, the future of this podcast as well. I too am excited about the future of this podcast. I am so thrilled that Elon lent her time and wisdom. If something stuck out to you, go connect with Elon on LinkedIn or me, shameless plug. Our LinkedIn pages are linked in the show notes and let us know anything you found inspiring, thought provoking, or feel free to continue the conversation like it doesn't have to end here at this episode. Please, please, please follow Metocracy on LinkedIn. Connect with me connect with my fellow co-founder Aaliyah Myers her link is also in the show notes and before I leave you here's some key information about this podcast and this online community our goal is for medtocracy to be a hub where future medtech innovators can easily source information on the industry learn about opportunities at different companies large small startups across Canada and the USA we are going to be having a podcast bi-weekly and during the weeks when we don't have our podcast, we will be highlighting trends in the industry, potential areas for improvement, potential startups that you can work at, startups hiring talent, hiring interns and recent grads. All in all, we hope to provide valuable content to empower the future med tech innovators. This is your host, Zion, and I'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Thank you.